You're listening to the Living on Purpose podcast with Pastor John Scally, a ministry of Emmanuel Church. Thanks for listening to episode six. We are on our way here. Uh, the question today is what does the Bible say about alcohol and is it okay to drink alcohol? Yeah, this is a topic that's uh, pretty controversial, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is a a topic that a lot of people have a lot of questions on. I will tell you that I've always believed from my Christian upbringing uh, that drinking alcohol was a sin. I've since, though, changed my biblical viewpoint without changing my practice. So there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, It's a conversation piece that is going to offend some people and others, uh, will think, yeah, this is the way it should be, and other, others will have the attitude like, well, yeah, you're overreacting to it. So mm-hmm. uh, this is a question we really try to really be careful in how we answer it, and uh, not answering it from an emotional standpoint, but from a biblical standpoint. So here are my initial thoughts on the subject. First of all, the Bible nowhere says that drinking a glass of wine at dinner or a beer at a ball game is a sin. It does say that drunkenness is a sin. Matter of fact, it does say that those who live a lifestyle of drunkenness will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let me read a few verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, it says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or adulterers or adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, and here it is, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And so there's a list there, and it's not so much just the particular sin, but it is the continuation in that sin. Mm -hmm. That's really the thought there. If you're living in this lifestyle, you're proving not to be a believer in Jesus. The Bible does say as well in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That word debauchery is the idea of cheapening something, like cheapening your life abandoning your principles, things like that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Bible also says in Proverbs 23, 29 to 35, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes, those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas lying on top of the rigging. Hmm. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? So, The Bible gives a lot of principles here about drunkenness. Uh, It's filled with verses that demonstrate to us that we're not to live in a place of drunkenness. Although it does not say that we cannot have a glass of wine or a beer. Now, here's the thing. That's hard for me to say because that's not at all how I grew up. Okay. I, I grew up being taught that alcohol, any sort of alcohol, any sort of a drink of alcohol was completely sinful. So that's... That's my upbringing, and that's that's what I would say that I struggle with, even in the context of talking through this as far as it being a sin or not being a sin. But again, when you remove the emotion out of it, the Bible's very clear that drunkenness is the sin, not, not necessarily drinking a glass of wine. 
Here's another thought. The Bible actually encourages the drinking of wine in, in biblical times. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9, 7, Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Now, I've done different studies, and I've looked at different words in the Hebrew and in the Greek, and some will debate uh, different words meaning different things um, compared to our culture today. I think it's possible, although I don't think it's really what it's talking about. And so I would say that's probably not accurate. So this was more cultural for Bible times than it is now? Yeah, in some ways, yes. I I will say this. The tension that we run into, and this is the big question, right? Was it uh, what it is then and what it is now, is it the same thing? That's the big question, right? Is it, you know, how do we figure out... uh, a fair comparison. And I think that's really the important question that we need to to answer. Let me read this. In the ancient world, there was less availability of safe drinking water, no refrigeration, no precision analysis in a lab, and no distillation. So let's talk about how that impacted life. Drinking water might be risky. The water might be polluted. Wells were generally safe, but had to be very, very deep. Outside of zones where you might find a well, you drink water at your own risk. So the custom was to drink the fruit of the vine. Usually that was mixed with water in one way or another. The alcohol content would then purify the water. By drinking only juices, um, I mean, that was expensive, right? So mixing the water made them go farther. Typically one part wine to three parts water, or more commonly one part wine to five parts water were used. The juice would be fermented almost certainly given enough time, there was no refrigeration. I think that's an important point. Mm -hmm. No matter what, you had some sort of fermentation because they didn't have refrigeration like we do. They had the ability to keep it from fermenting. The only way to avoid this was to boil the juice down to a paste or a jelly, which could later be uh, uh, reconstituted with water. So the average ancient would drink wine all day, every day, but it was a small part of undistilled wine mixed with a larger part of water most of the time. Only for special events, the very rich or the hard drinker was pure wine used unmixed with water. Typically, the very highest concentration of alcohol the average person would see would be about 9 to 11% alcohol. That's if the sugar content of the juice and outside air temperature were ideal for fermentation, and then it was mixed with water, bringing it down to maybe 2.5%. And so, again, that, that's only if everything tended toward high alcohol content. Off-season, too hot, too cold, at growing time, harvest, or in the vat, you get less alcohol content. So when the Bible uses the terms that we translate wine in English, this is what it had in mind. Only when certain other words were used would we assume it was undiluted. You know, like with the words translated strong drink in the Old Testament, but even so, there was much less alcohol than today. There was no distillation. So realize that a person would have to drink quite a bit of this, nearly a gallon of the mixture of wine and water to have become intoxicated. So in many situations, the word wine then and the word wine today, they're similar, but they're not exactly the same. Quite quite a different percentage-wise. Quite a different percentage-wise. Okay. And so that's something for us to really, really think through, you know. And again, what's the purpose of alcohol? I believe the purpose of alcohol really 
is for the buzz. It is for the intoxication. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, you know, that's the concern that I would have with drinking alcohol. In the Bible, the Bible does warn against drunkenness. Mm -hmm. So literally in Bible times, um, the more you drank, the more likely you were to get drunk. But the question in our culture would be, is how much does it take for a person to get drunk with what we have today? Probably much less. Right, right. And depending on the type of alcohol, it's not just wine all around. Every Everywhere you look, there's whole aisles full of options and different strengths and, and everything. Um, my question is, you know, why why do it in the first place? Like it's, it doesn't taste good. It's, you know, not... It's not cheap. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you could spend, there's a lot of people out there that spend a lot of money on a temporary fix, you know. Yeah. And that's really what it is in a lot of ways. It makes a person feel good. Uh, and and so the question today that we're trying to answer is not so much whether a drink of wine or a beer is a sin, because it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean... Listen, you can't call it a sin. The Bible does not call that a sin. Mm-hmm. But the question I would ask is, why would you want to risk so many things by being involved with alcohol? And there's some Christians that are not going to see it the way that I see it. Again, uh, this is a soul liberty issue. It's interesting. Uh, as a contemporary Baptist church, one of the distinctives of being a Baptist is soul liberty, which means there are things that you have to determine for yourself where the Bible is not clear on or... The Bible does not forbid something. You have to determine for yourself how you're going to live your life in a particular area. And so there's a a few thoughts, I I think, that are really important for us to consider as we we look through this and try to answer this question, right? Number one, um, and these are things uh, that I would say, what does it mean for us in today's culture, for us individually? Mm -hmm. These are things that I would counsel you to consider, okay? Number one is I would counsel you uh, to avoid all, all alcohol. Uh, that's wisdom, not precept, okay? That's wisdom, not precept in the sense we think of precept, something directly from God's word. That's not what I'm talking about. This is wisdom, okay? Uh, you know, you can't get into an accident and as a drunk driver and hurt someone if you don't drink. Right. You know, you cannot end up losing your temper and beating your wife, you know, because you're drunk. Like alcohol, I've counseled several people over the years, and many people, they'll talk about some of their worst moments in their life where when they were intoxicated. Mm -hmm. So if you remove that possibility out of your life, it really does protect you against a lot of harms. I had a teacher in high school, he was one of my coaches too, he always said, when in doubt, don't. Mm -hmm. So if there's something that you're doubting, maybe you shouldn't do it. Right. If there's something that has heavy risk to it, then maybe you shouldn't do it. Yeah. So that's the first thought I would give. I think like, and to the effects of alcohol, it amplifies a personality. It really right? does. Yeah. Right. So if you are drinking alcohol, you know, your inhibitions are, are lessened. So you're more likely to overreact in any, any way, you know, exactly being distracted or, or being slow to, to react um, or, being more violent or whatever. So yeah, why why even chance it? Why even do that? Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Frontline magazine in 1993. So this is an old statistic. I'm sure it's worse now. 
But national surveys reveal that alcohol is involved in as many as 65% of the murders committed in the United States, 50% of the assaults, 35% of the rapes, 55% of the domestic violence, 60% of child abuse cases, and 60% of traffic fatalities. I mean, that just says a lot of things, doesn't it? Yeah. And for me personally, this hits home because my cousin was killed in a traffic accident by a person who was intoxicated. And so... It's hard for me even to consider anything of value with alcohol. Mm -hmm. The risk level goes way up. So number one, I would encourage you to avoid it. That's my wisdom to you. Mm -hmm. Number two, I would counsel you to consider Christian liberty in light of your Christian family. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 9 through 13, Paul warns, it says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm just going to give you the general idea. Mm -hmm. In that time period, believers were getting saved out of idolatry and worshiping other idols and different things like that. And one of the practices in foreign worship was to take meat and offer it to idols. And so Paul is saying, you know, when it comes to me, I know there's no such thing as an idol. And so for me to eat a piece of meat that was offered to an idol doesn't mean anything to me. But I had brothers and sisters in Christ that came out of that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so for them, if they were to eat that piece of meat, that would take them back to what they used to be, and they can't do it. And so if I end up eating in front of them, and then I encourage them to eat as well, and they end up doing it, it's going to wound their conscience, and it's going to hurt their relationship with God. I think of my dad when it comes to this. My dad grew up in a time period where it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? And he was a part of a rock band that was very much connected to all of those things. I didn't grow up like that. So when I hear the sound of a beat or any sort of music, it doesn't impact me in any way. Mm. But when my dad hears those things, it brings him back to the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, all those things, the riotous living, so to speak. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's really important for me to be careful around my dad with what I enjoy stylistically with music, not to bring him back to where I used to be, to where that could wound his conscience. Now, that seems extreme, but it's the same thing with alcohol. Like, am I going to drink a glass of alcohol in front of someone who used to be an addict, who ended up losing their marriage or really hurting themselves in some way? Right. I think of Celebrate Recovery, right? Yeah. We really love the people that are part of that ministry, and some have really struggled with alcohol. Am I going to ever take them out to eat and drink a glass of beer in front of them? No. I mean, that, that would be ridiculous. Right, right. Now, maybe I have Christian liberty to do something like that, but Paul's saying don't use that in a selfish way. Make sure you care enough about your brothers and sisters in Christ to where maybe it doesn't offend you spiritually, but it could really hurt them. Absolutely, because you're not just responsible for yourself. You're also responsible as, as a pastor, as a minister. Yes. People see that, and they see, oh, if, if, he, if he's drinking a beer or something like that, and he's spiritual, oh, well, maybe, maybe I, maybe I could do it. Mm -hmm. If they're less spiritual, though, if they're not as disciplined, that can just lead down a slippery slope. Absolutely, and it can really hurt some people. Mm -hmm. So, 
we have to be really careful of our Christian liberty. Number three, I would counsel you to have accountability. Drinking can easily become drunkenness. So let's say you do go out, have a glass of, you know, beer with the guys, uh, a, a glass of wine at dinner, whatever. Like, who's your accountability? Who's your mentor? Who is your coach? Who's the person that's going to hold you accountable? I mean, it's really easy for that to cross the line. And I would tell you, if you don't have accountability in this particular area. So let's say you walk away from this podcast and you're like, well, I don't really agree with this. I'm going to continue to drink alcohol, but I'm not going to get drunk. My question for you is, who's going to keep you accountable to make sure you don't become a drunk? Mm. I think that's really important to consider. And so I would just counsel you to have accountability. Number four, I would counsel you to consider the risk in light of the family dynamics that you have. I'm obsessive compulsive, okay? When someone buys me a bag of Cadbury eggs, thank you, everybody. And you can keep doing that, by the way. <laughs> but when somebody does that, like, I don't just sit there and eat five or six of the little eggs. I'll, I'll eat the whole bag. I'm not proud of that, but I'm obsessive compulsive. Mm. My family is very much like that. I know how I am. And so I know that if I began to drink alcohol, it would not be just a glass of beer or wine here or there. It would become something that's addictive in my life. And I know that. Yeah. And so I think we have to be really careful about those kinds of risks. I One of the things that my wife and I decided years ago is that we're not going to have alcohol in our house because we don't know how it's going to affect our kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know the effect it's going to have on my kids. So I'm going to encourage my kids to abstain from it. And if they decide to do it on their own someday when they're adults, that's up to them. But I don't want to be the cause of any sort of damage in their lives. And I know there's a lot of other areas we could assume as well. But we're talking about alcohol today, and this is a very addictive thing. Mm-hmm. I would also say my grandfather, he died at the age of 60. He was found naked on his front lawn, dead of alcoholism. He was an incredible man in a lot of ways, but alcohol got him. One Christmas, we didn't even gather as a family because he took the Christmas tree and he threw it down the steps. There were some real issues in our mm-hmm. family when it came to alcoholism. And I would tell you, you have to be really careful, if you're going to introduce something like that into your family, have you considered the effects it could have on your children, even even more so your grandchildren down the road? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say count the cost, not only financially, but but relationally too. Absolutely. So the Bible has a lot of things to say about alcohol. And I would say, if you're asking the question, is it wrong to drink a, a bottle of beer, a glass of wine uh, at dinner at a ball game? I would tell you it's not a sin. But I will tell you, though, that you should count the cost. And my wisdom to you is to avoid it. Let me just read this. Alcohol consumed in, in small quantities is neither harmful nor addictive. In fact, some doctors advocate drinking small amounts of red wine for its health benefits, especially for the heart. Consumption of small quantities of alcohol is a matter of Christian freedom. Drunkenness and addiction are sin. However, due to the biblical concerns regarding alcohol and its contents, Due to the easy temptation to consume alcohol in excess and due to the possibility of causing offense or becoming a stumbling block to others, it's often best for a Christian to abstain from alcohol. And that ultimately is my practice. My viewpoint has changed. My practice has not changed. And my encouragement to you is just to abstain from it. There's so many other things to partake in, and the risk is not worth the reward. Mm -hmm. If alcohol is something that you struggle with, we highly recommend that you come check out our Celebrate Recovery program, which is on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. at Emanuel Flint Campus. If you have other questions that you'd like to hear answers to in future episodes, you can email them to john, J-O-H-N, at weareemmanuel.life. And we thank you for listening. 